From conies to cheesecake and barbecue to brunch, we all have meals that mean something special to us. This podcast takes a deep dive into the traditions, delicacies, and legends that have shaped what we know and love about food. This is Season to Taste. We have a very special episode coming today uh, with a great guest. If I was cooking alone, you'd be impressed, but uh, that is not all. During the day, he designs crucial jet engine components, and by night, he's a mad scientist in the kitchen. Also happens to be a rocket scientist and has been known uh, to enable my personal eating competitions uh, during video team weekends at church. He is last seen saying, it's not hard, it's just rocket science. <laughs> Nolan, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for the wonderful introduction. That's fantastic. Oh, man. <laughs> and enabling the food competitions. I like that. It, I like that. It definitely happens. I want to start by talking about um, how you got introduced to cooking, because it's kind of a unique story. Yeah, for sure. It, it certainly is something that uh, is a unique story. The introduction to cooking for me probably happened... Um, I guess if you take it back, the reason why I started cooking was based a lot around my my family and my, um, let's say, lack of skills in the household. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. My my mom and dad, uh, they did did well. Mom cooked. She has a German background, so everything was, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, usually covered in gravy and pan fried. But I I would say that... um, just back in back in that era, which I you know I'm a kid from the 80s, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of like self help or here's how to cook like we have today. Like we don't you know the yeah. internet's obviously changed a lot of things. So, but from uh, from things covered in gravy and uh, some of the um, things that my dad grilled, uh, which was okay, but definitely not like you would grill things today uh everything was Mm -hmm. usually a little on the overdone side um yeah (laughs) uh, i would say that drove my sisters and i to to kind of branch out and learn how to cook ourselves so so that's that's the why we we started doing that and then my journey really started when i was in college and honestly following uh one of the celebrity chefs you know that we all kind of know is Alden brown so that that mm. really kicked off the the unification of science and cooking which was where, yeah where i got my passion for it so for sure were your grandparents good cooks on either side uh my grandparents on that honestly the extent of what I know about my dad's grandparents is very little. Um, my grandma Max mm-hmm. and, and uh, Grandpa Don and them, uh, I don't have too many memories of them. I do have more memories of my grandfather, or my grandparents, my oma and opa from my mother's side, um, mm-hmm. when they, they would come in or we went and visited them. Um, the, you know, the, the traditional, more traditional cuisine, um, uh, was being prepared or cooked when when they were here, so that was that was it. And a lot of what they grew up with, um, they passed on to my mom. And so that was that was the extent of what the the uh, let's say grandparents cooking in that is. They passed on to my mom what they knew, um, and then and then she tried to pass that on to me. And I I had said, mm, you know, we can cook different things. <laughs> so uh, so that was yeah. That's interesting that, um, that, I don't know, that it got passed on to her and then, um, you've been able to take kind of a different route there. Yep. Yeah. It's been, it's been quite the thing. Now my, my parents then, even my older sisters, they've, um, they've kind of held true to more of the German cuisine. Uh, they do cook other things as well, but, uh, I for sure, I would say have put some healthy distance between uh, my normal cooking day in, day out, and weekly cooking versus uh, what would be like a normalized either Southern German or, or Northern German type style. So it's not as I don't like it or couldn't cook it, right? Give me a good bratwurst and mm-hmm. uh, some, some rock rock any day. But uh, yeah, I just, I would say that that is not a normal thing. We, we will do it during Oktoberfest um, and things like that. We'll cook that mm-hmm. over here with homemade pretzels and uh, you know, I can, I brew beers well, so some of that, but, sure. but yeah, it's, uh, 
it's certainly, I, w- I would say I've expended both my palate and my cooking cuisine. So, Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Did your family ever make um, sauerkraut growing up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. sauerkraut was uh, probably a weekly or bi-weekly type dish that, that we would have, be it, you know, out of the can or mom would home make it um, with vinegar and applesauce and yeah. uh, cloves and bacon and, you know, whatever she was kind of feeling. I would say there was the the main, the base ingredient was the cabbage. And then from there, it, it you know, stayed within some realm, but it did differ <laughs> educationally. So, yeah. Uh, yep. I was talking to my mom and my aunt about this because uh, we had started. We've done a little bit of fermentation stuff, like just simple, like um, red peppers and and uh, like um, red onions, and um, they're, they're a nice addition for sandwiches and stuff. And I was like, "Well, why can't we just make like sauerkraut or something?" And they're like, "No, <laughs> you don't want your house smelling like sauerkraut." Or yeah, so yeah, it. And uh, a hot pickle, a quick hot, quick hot pickle with like olives or not olives, uh, onions or, or whatnot. That is, it's definitely one thing. Like hot peppers, and mm-hmm. even um, you should look up uh, like a hot, hot and spice, and then a hot infusion of baby carrots. That's another good one. Um, That's interesting. Yes, as far as making your own, it will, uh, let's say, perfume. Uh, it might be a very polite way to say it when you right. start boiling down cabbage for a long period of time. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. There, there's certain households around us that have like a kitchen in their garage, and for 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 that reason, uh, for, that, for a lot of reasons around that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably a good idea. What was the worst or best thing you've had from? Um, Either your grandparents or your parents that you remember to this day. The so my my oma used to make homemade jam, and that was probably like so over there. I um, what we know as strawberry um, jam or preserves. Really, it's a strawberry preserves. Yeah. They she would homemade and she makes the best she made she is uh passed away but she Mm -hmm. she made the best strawberry preserves that i've ever had and i've tried in fact uh going to jungle gyms and all this other stuff i have attempted to get multiple different uh styles like imported in from germany even yeah still cannot find or get a good um anything that comes even close to that so that's from my grandmother i would say that's that's the main thing my my opa, uh, it maybe not something to eat, but one of the traditions that we did was a um, a let's call it a a fortified wine, and so you would take a, a wine, and it's a German tradition, at least that's the way I was taught it, and you use a sugar cone, and you will pour one fifty one rum over it, over the sugar cone, and all that sits over top this like pot of of wine. And so then you will light it on fire, and as the 151 both soaks into and starts to caramelize the sugar from the heat from it burning, mm-hmm. it will drip down into the wine and fortify it. And so he was always big on doing hmm. that. So as like a special that's tradition. Interesting. Everything. So, yep. Yeah, that's neat. Mm-hmm. And kind of following your um, introduction to cooking, you started competing in 4-H cooking competitions. You want to tell me more about that? I did, I did indeed. Yeah, 4-H was big in our area um, growing up. Uh, we did a whole bunch of different things from electric competitions to the cooking competitions. So, oh God, I started this when I was, the youngest they would let you enter was like seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was big on a ham, pickle, and more than ample supply of mustard sandwiches at the time <laughs> so so i made these things and and you competed in each age group right so so you were competing against uh, peers of your similar uh, let's say ability yeah and uh, so that was that was my introduction into that now by the time um i kind of really started getting into cooking i definitely started to take that some more liberty with that so so one of the things i did is um 
from California, so I'm uh, like tuna fish or not not opposed to eating a lot of fish. Yeah. So I made a tuna fish dish, like my homemade mix of spices and blends and stuff like that. But you didn't just go serve it because it wasn't just about the dish. It was how it was you know, presented, how you yeah. were dressed up and stuff like that. So I did um, a pirate map. So I homemade some bread and then I used like some uh, food dye and I drew out on the bread like this pirate map and then mm -hmm. had the tuna fish beside it. So like the whole picture and then you got dressed up in a little costume. So I was dressed up like a, you know, a sailor or something like that. And so you presented it and you kind of explained why. So that was one of my more fun ones. And then uh, the, I did... Uh, baklava um Ooh, homemade nice. baklava and i dressed up in a toga and i'm not sure if it was the baklava or the fact that i was in high school wrestling and probably about you know seven percent body fat at the time but the judges seemed to like it so <laughs> That's uh, yeah it was it was pretty fun so it was a local thing and we got to do and that you know competition by the time i finished the competitions aside it was going just to go and and actually see more of what the the younger generation and and my peers were also doing so it was it was fun but mm -hmm. um it did set the trajectory of like not being afraid to go out and just try different things yeah for sure what did you learn from doing these competitions that you still uh, think about besides you know trying new things so the the main thing there is to not be, to not, so besides going out and do, trying new things, I was going to say that's kind of the primary thing. No, is to be confident in what you make, right? Mm. So everybody's palate is different. So yeah. as you would take criticism from certain judges, you know, like let's take, for instance, my first mustard sandwich. That's <laughs> really <laughs> kind of what it was, right? They were kind with it. And, and as you experienced it as a kid growing up, through all this, I got to both see and experience the change in palate. So my change in palate as I got older and more mature and just experienced more flavors to, you know, what I liked as a kid versus what I like now. And then yeah. you also are saying, well, as you are now in like high school, you're starting to get more of the adult palate and you're understanding where they're coming from and learning to take that criticism that everyone's palate is slightly different, right? And yeah. so you're not going to make everyone happy but you should present your food or present what you're making in a way that they understand what you're making. So it doesn't mm. try to be something else, right? So that it doesn't yeah. try to misrepresent what it is. And I think that's the biggest thing. So you represented what you made. And if you represented it well, you kind of go in with like a preconceived notion of more or less what to expect. Now, some dishes you were made to surprise things, right? But uh, I would say the vast majority of of those were more just an exploratory thing versus okay here's here's the competition here's this general broad thing like a stew or a soup or something like that mm -hmm. so for instance not big over here in, in our culture cuisine but cold soups right so that's that's a big thing yeah. in other in other cultures and and we when you get served something in a bowl that looks like a soup you would definitely expect it more or less to be hot right yeah especially if it has like chicken or other things in it and and to come back and have that be a cold soup like with cold chicken and some you know gelatinized uh uh tapioca starches or something like that sure for us that's really like what am i eating you know yeah. Sounds a weird. <laughs> it is it is but it's it's just the way we are what we were taught growing up so yeah so just be confident in what you make and understand that that there are different tastes people just like everyone sees a slightly different you know shade of blue or red right we don't all see the same exact hue everyone has the same thing with taste so yeah that's really good i would say i, I first fell in love with cooking from shows like um chopped and other like competition shows kind of like that so um it's cool to hear that you have a, I guess almost a similar experience, but um, your own experience through, you know, participating in this. Yeah, yeah. The Trump shows and the uh, uh, what was the one with um, Alton actually hosted it for a little while with the main Cutthroat Kitchen. Cut Cutthroat Kitchen. Uh, you had the Guy Fieri one, but no, the mm -hmm. Iron Chef, the the the, the original yeah. the MP. Those were actually <laughs> fun to watch, but. Um, 
But I got I got burnt out on them. They I did. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like at, at some point it, you it's it's chef versus chef and the ingredients, you know, it was neat to see them, but the correlation between what you would do in your home kitchen versus what they are doing on that kitchen. Right. You know, it, at some point you go, well, yeah, it's neat to watch these things, but how can I translate that into my home, right? Mm-hmm. So some of the instruments yeah. that they use and tools they have available. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that that was the thing, like, some of the, the newer shows, I think, centered around, like, uh, the grocery wars or whatever, right? So yeah. how do you tie it back into the household? So For sure. I, I have enjoyed um, MasterChef and, like, MasterChef Junior even because for that exact reason there, I mean, especially MasterChef Junior, they're, like, learning all the um i mean they're kind of just um, building on skills they already have but some of them are are learning to like you know clean a fish or um break down a chicken and and things that are like um good skills to have but i was gonna say yeah useful like if you hand a majority of people today a boning knife or whatnot one they probably won't know what it is and two you hand (laughs) them a whole chicken and you say okay can you go just you know prep this and they'll like what yeah. <laughs> uh, so definitely something I want to work on more as I've not really had a lot of exposure to that, but Yeah, yeah. It it is um I would say that when you first get into it you have to you the struggle isn't necessarily with the like the actual deboning of the the poultry or the turkey or you know even if you're doing like ham bones or or whatever you're you're doing it's the dissociation from like the food prep to the exquisite or the good meal you're going to make because a lot of people they get kind of uh put off by that process of deboning because we've not done it more or less as a society or culture in, in such a long time on a mass scale right like yeah. i would say most people go to the grocery store and buy the chicken breasts or things that have already been um you know prepped into that extent right. so so when they have to do it or face that themselves it is a very mental thing of like the smell and the touch and then how that translates into mm. the cooked product at the end and just learning to separate those two so yeah definitely How did shows like Chopped and other um, either competition shows or just cooking shows in general? I mean, um, you mentioned Alden Brown, and um, I know America's Test Kitchen was, um, I'd say, a favorite of mine growing up as well. How did those impact your cooking journey? They they certainly introduced new ingredients, and I would say mm-hmm. not just my personal cooking journey, but as a whole, people started asking for them. And so availability in the grocery store for those particular items or certain items, like, you know, think about how many, you know, even just flavors of lettuce you have now yeah. in the store, right? That before, probably before a lot of that came about, you could find it in some specialty or organic shops, but the main grocery stores, you know, you had Iceberg and Romaine, like the, mm-hmm. option A or option B. And now you yeah. have very different things. The number of mushrooms that you can get in the store, sure. the just yeah. the pure variety, and by so by not just me it impacting me in that, but that has opened up a lot of things to uh, a lot more people. Now that made it a lot easier for me to go out and explore on my journey. So I would say mm-hmm. that by the popularity that those shows had, they essentially influenced what was in the store uh, to some degree. And then, and then it was on you, which I was always one for, Oh, I'm going to go try to make something with that, right? That new ingredient right. and just learn how it fit into other ingredients or into a meal. So, so that was how those shows, I think now, diving deeper on the good eats side of things that was back when i was really learning and mm-hmm. um so you know go get a kitchen scale did not have kitchen. so i think selecting the, the correct few tools that you need in the kitchen because um, you can definitely have way too many tools but you need sure. the, you need a, a good few probably you know good knife you know a good kitchen mm-hmm. scale yeah good set of some bowls just some simple bowls but uh and then a nice cutting board or or 
maybe not a nice cutting board, but multiple cutting boards that you can have separated out or not worried about disposing and getting new ones. Mm-hmm. Um, something something that you're not cutting and ruining your knife with. <laughs> so. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely important. And what do you think those shows and then especially the cooking shows on YouTube these days with um, the likes of, you know, Binging with Babish and Bon Appetit or some of the ones that I've um, been watching a lot lately. How do you think, the, like, what do you think those mean to kind of, I guess, the new generation of cooks, people um, my age and younger, as we all kind of learn to cook going into college? So I think, so those shows are quite good. Binging with Babish. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, one of my favorite the two that we follow fairly closely, uh, actually have three. Yeah. So there's sorted foods, uh, you know, hashtag not sponsors of any of these, but, <laughs> <laughs> but sorted foods, um, is a, is a fun show where they have two chefs and three normals. And so they call themselves the normies mm-hmm. and it is, is showing how the chefs and how they challenge themselves, um, uh, to create these things they they put themselves against each other they work together in competition they do all these things so it's really an interesting you know dynamic and and they are intentional about trying to promote a food awareness of how to cook things how to do things simply so they're directly trying to influence your home kitchen Uh, then another show is um uh my name is andong and this guy is yeah. really cool. He speaks four different languages. He has a very uh, awesome background just to hear his story. And he like brings his grandmother onto the show and things like that. That's so nice. he's, he is pretty cool. Um, and he does food history plus food um, a technique. Now, he yeah. is very much like... I'm going to cook and my techniques and what I do is I'm Mm -hmm. a home chef on YouTube. So I'm going to focus in on, you know, if I can take a shortcut or a hack to get there, I'm going to do that because I don't have time to to not do that. Right. That kind of thing. So, so he's another good one. And then the last one we watch is um, Joshua Weissman and Joshua Weissman is uh, to me a little more comical. Um, yeah. <laughs> as a whole when, when paired up with those and I would say that so I've tried multiple dishes from all, all of those including Babish and, and mm-hmm. uh, some of them more food. but they, they are essentially your second generation because they grew up similar to me probably watching the Alton Browns the Good Eats sure. the, those types of things and they are now taking that and taking the new creative media YouTube and that and distilling mm-hmm. down you know, what used to be 30 minute episodes into, you know, 10 minute type. Here's, let me laser focus in on this one thing. Let's do these ideas, which is, it's adapting to what our consumption of media is like. Now, I would caution because there are shows out there um, that they show these, you know, magical dishes being made, super easy things. Yeah. And, and they're all a bunch of baloney. So you just have to be careful with that. So, as with anything, but those shows. I think are great because they, you know, anytime you can get inspired by someone else and Mm -hmm. they try to explain it or they show their passion, I think that that passion, um, spreads it's, it's infective. And so (laughs) I enjoy, in fact, uh, Endong is probably one of the more uh, passionate type cooks or he's more addictive to watch him and and see how he does things. So, uh, we, yeah. And then also, uh, Alex French guy, have you seen any of his work? I have not. No. Yeah. So he is another good YouTuber to, to go watch and he will do an entire series deep diving on something. So all of them. Yeah. And he's actually, I think a mechanical engineer that, that went chef, uh, Mm -hmm. like completely walked out of his day job and started YouTubing and cooking. So, so he, and he has a 3d printer and like a a wood shop. And so he like makes his own little gadgets when he needs something just to perfect this one thing. So, so it's, you know, it, it, for me, it, something like that alex is uh he he fulfills you know i can live vicariously through him because i don't <laughs> think you know lydia my wife would let me uh <laughs> do all that in the kitchen and things like that like eh, to some extent but not not to right. the full extent that he does so yeah that's neat um i mean unlike the the food history guy um there's a, a show i watch occasionally uh, called the burger show on first we feast and 
it's this guy Bill uh I don't actually remember his name. Um but it's this guy and he he's gone all around the country like learning about burger culture in America because it's such a big thing. Um I mean people stereotype America as like eating burgers, but like there's so much more to it than just like a classic cheeseburger, whatever you think of it. I had no idea. Um and like you said, I mean he he talks about the history and where where these burgers started and why they started, um, but then also like teaches you how to make it, and uh, I really enjoyed learning that for sure. Yeah, and you know the biggest game changer for making your own burger. What's that? Grind your own meat. I'm That's telling true. you, invest in a meat grinder. Right? Anyone listening yeah. to this, like. Put it in the freezer. Should keep it there. And then when you see a chunk of meat on sale, you know, at, at the store, it looks good, has good marbling. Buy it. Come home. Slice it into ribbons. You know, chill it for a little bit, and then go grind it. It will make, it will blow your mind the difference between like store-bought ground beef, the yeah. flavor that, or the like, say the lack of flavor that has, and the flavor you will get out of a cut of beef that you've ground. Uh, it's it's one of the biggest things to go do. So. I believe it because I always see such a difference in like the burgers we're making at home and the burgers you get at like a pretty good burger place you know um there's a few good ones in um Columbus and yeah I definitely want to crack the code so we'll have to we'll have to look into that <laughs> yep I was gonna say on um on Joshua I've been uh, watching his stuff for a little while and I made his banana foster bananas foster recipe this summer and that was a lot of fun. Um, have you, do you know what that is, or have you ever, have you ever made it? Uh, I've probably watched that episode, but no, I've not made the Bananas Foster. The last one I made or tried to make of his was a um, was the apple pie. So yeah, yeah. Um, I would definitely recommend it because it's it's pretty simple. It's just like um, I think it was like brown sugar and butter in a pan. You kind of um, you melt that and then you you throw have the bananas in there you slice them like down the middle um and you cook that for a while and then um you flambe it with some rum at the end and uh serve with ice cream and it's just a really nice um dessert and yeah heck yeah yeah that sounds good but i think what he does so well is like you said he's pretty he's kind of comical he keeps it lighthearted, but he also has a really like really strong technical ability and used to work in a really nice restaurant of some sort um and yeah i think that's definitely an awesome thing that he brings to the table of having that skill and then also making it kind of accessible for people (laughs) yep yeah for sure what do you think are some of the pitfalls for people that are kind of getting interested um maybe listening to this podcast you know watch a few um cooking channels on youtube and starting to get into um, kind of the cooking world yeah i would say so the simplest pitfall let's see three three come to mind the first one is food prep the second mm-hmm. one is under seasoning yep. and the third one is like starting too complex sure. so so understanding good food prep so this is um one thing that will help no matter what. So it's kind of like a foundational thing. So if you say you're making a salsa, which usually involves cutting up a ton of vegetables. Well, if you start mm-hmm. your salsa, right, you put it on, like you say, you're heating it and you're trying to, to put some, some, you know, browning on a, on a pepper or something like that before you cut it up and you do this one at a time, it's going to take you like four hours to make yeah. the salsa, right? So understanding the food prep side of it, so getting things broken down, cutting things up that are common sized and things like that, uh, that will be a huge game changer. So think, you know, this is where kind of chemistry and physics, really physics comes in, right? So if you have different vegetables and you cut them up, if you cut them up big versus cutting them up small, that's definitely going to change how they cook how fast they cook how long they need to soften and things like that Mm -hmm. so just looking at your food and going what's the order that this is going to go in what's Mm. the order that i need to do it and then also am i going to put big root vegetables in with like finely diced or chopped up onion or garlic Mm -hmm. right what 
that will typically lead to, unless you add moisture to the, the environment, is you're going to burn the small bits and pieces because right. they're going to be ex overexposed and you're not going to have your fully cooked, you know, root vegetables. So, so food prep is one. The second one is, um, uh, seasoning. So the most, most beginner chefs and most beginner cooks, even home cooks that I know are afraid to over season things, right? Yeah. So I would say it's probably harder to overseason than it is to underseason. So don't be afraid. Now, salt is one of the exceptions because, and we don't mm -hmm. often over salt things intentionally by just adding salt. What we don't realize is certain other things bring saltiness to right. it. And so you kind of like can over salt in that aspect. But as far as other seasonings go, your garlics, your herbs, your right. Don't mm -hmm. be afraid to be a little more heavy handed. Uh, I would say as a beginner cook, unless you're measuring things out, you know, by grams or with like a teaspoon, if you're using dry powders or things like that, right. put twice as much in as what, so when you like are shaking in your garlic or your cayenne or whatever, mm -hmm. put more in and don't be afraid to do that. And you'll learn the amount of seasoning to the size of the dish over time. And that's one thing that, that Lydia gets on right. me about all the time. Cause she's like, this is really good. How'd you cook it? And I'm like, I don't know. Like I don't measure things anymore <laughs> just because I've gotten so used to that, to eyeballing and being able to see how much I really need to put in. Now I still get it wrong sometimes, but, yeah. but it's, it's much easier to season the food up front and get it done. Um, for salt, there are certain things you can go look up like salt percentage per specifically on hamburgers, right? You mm -hmm. go, how, how much percentage of salt? So say you have, you know, you want a 3% or a 2% you know, salt to meat ratio, ground meat ratio. So you just get a kitchen scale, again, one of those useful tools, yeah. you weigh out your ground meat, and then you add in that amount of salt and mix it in. So those are the different types of things. So under seasoning is a pitfall that, that I would say, so lack of food prep, so recipes take forever to cook, or you you know say, oh yeah, I can get that done, and dinner will be done at 7, and you're still cooking at 9 o'clock at night kind of thing. <laughs> so, uh, and then the last thing... Uh, what was the last thing that I had said? One thing is, oh, complexity. Complexity. Yes. So taking things on too complex to begin with, right? So uh, this mm -hmm. gets into a conversation we had kind of talked about a little bit earlier, um, not during this, but like simple versus complex, right? Yeah. So I would say for a beginner cook, because I don't even want to chef because that implies professional, but for your right. home cook, right? Don't think that simple is bad or will turn out, uh, you know, less magical or, or will satisfy less than a complex dish. Mm -hmm. Often, often simpler is better, especially when you're starting because you can really put importance or the emphasis on the few ingredients that you're doing and you can learn to perfect how to prep those right mm -hmm. before you move on and start adding in more dishes right so right. Yeah, let's take a simple mac and cheese right so you boil your pasta so starting simple how do you season the pasta right learn to salt your water now mm -hmm. once you get salting the water down then you can you know that seasons the pasta then what do you do about the cheese dish, right? Well, you learn to put in and make your, you know, roux, which is your butter and flour, yeah. and then you add in your liquid. So for us, it's typically oat milk because I'm lactose intolerant, right? Mm -hmm. So oat milk. And then, so that's your simple roux. But learning to do those things well will advance you to then you can say, okay, now when I season the water, do I just use salt? Oh, well, maybe I use chicken stock. So now I get a little more flavor into mm. the noodles. All right. So now you're adding some complexity, but you've started by mastering the basics first, by mastering what's important. Because if you season it with chicken stock and then you add, you know, you have your cream sauce, but your cream sauce cracks and you had put, you know, nutmeg and you over seasoned it with nutmeg and you just get too complicated up front, yeah. right? Then you have too many things that you're worried There's about too much going and, on. and you miss the important things like cooking the noodles to al dente, like getting the cream sauce to the right consistency, right? Those types of things. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and you're not going to notice when you're eating it if if those big things are not in place correctly. Um, you're not going to notice those smaller things that are still important, but just garnishes at the end, you know. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like, you know, it's, you know, for for certain things, you're going to make it one way, and then the individual can customize it from there. So, mm-hmm. so I think that if you have underdone or overcooked noodles, everyone will notice that. Versus, oh, right. I wanted a little, you know, more heat in my dish. Okay, here's the hot sauce, right? Or I wanted a little more salt. Okay, here's some salt, right? Like they can kind of take it from there, but you got to give them the foundation to start from. And if the foundation isn't there, right. then everyone you know, then you've kind of missed. So, Yeah, that's definitely true. What's the first skill you think someone, someone should learn if they're um, just starting to cook? Knife skills and cleanliness. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to sound like a, a jerk or a, you know, pomp, pompy chef kind of thing. Yeah. But when you think about true. your work area, right? food sanitation and food safety to make sure that what you're going to be giving to your family every night or to a large group of people, you know, that is critical. So food, you know, your cleanliness of your area and cleaning as you go keeps you more organized and keeps you in thought uh, and the thought process more because you, you're not like, oh, I can't put this bowl down because I have no open space on the counter because I got right. all these other stuff. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Which goes back to my early, the number one thing, right? Like food prep. That's that's one. So, and then knife skills. So much work is done in the kitchen with a knife. Um, that And yeah. I see so, so poor knife technique from so many of, like, the people that I invite over that cook with mm-hmm. us or some of the things. And I... I one, I'm terrified that people are going to, like, cut themselves. Right. So, so spend time... And it takes time. You're not going to just pick up a knife and instantly be able to do what you see on Iron Chef and do that, mm-hmm. right? These people live with a knife in their hand for right. hours every day. So so it's like food prep and knife skills and then food cleanliness. Those are the – that would be the thing I would say start with, right? Start – if you're going to start, go get a – you know, what's a simple vegetable stew or simple vegetable soup, right? Something that's one mm-hmm. pretty hard to mess up because it's it's a vegetable soup and you can put a lot of different vegetables together and they're usually okay. Um, right. But they require you to cut celery, got to cut carrots, mm-hmm. got to cut potato. And they give you a variety of different things that you're learning to cut with. And then also go watch on YouTube. There's plenty of like knife handling skills. Now, what I will say yeah. with knife handling skills the you know you're gonna find a whole bunch of different knives out there i prefer a nine inch chef knife it's a rather large knife to most users but what Mm -hmm. i find is that um, the weight of it allows me to cut through things and you learn to use the heel of the knife which is right near the grip right near Mm -hmm. your hand right because you're resting the tip because it's a much longer knife you're resting the tip on the board so if you watch like joshua weissman or some of the other they've kind of naturally come to that as well now you have different knives yeah. for different yeah. situations but i would say don't be afraid of a large knife because you will learn more skill and technique with it so the smaller knives like ultimately pick a knife that you feel comfortable with but don't be afraid to start learning on larger knives because you will unlock certain areas or certain mm-hmm. skills that you just can't do with a smaller knife because you know you don't have enough blade you don't have enough actual length to do some of the techniques that you see the other chefs doing so yeah i think that's really important and a good point and i think kind of following right after some of what you mentioned would be knife sharpening um, i think that's definitely something people don't focus on much um, it seems really complicated or really difficult um, it's something i want to get into more because it's so important and especially important for safety Yes, yes, absolutely. So get a get a honing stone or yeah. a honing stick, right? Which is not sharpening. Um, right. That is just just realigning the the edge of the knife. But yes, a sharp knife is actually much safer to use, in yes. my opinion, than a dull knife. Because exactly. if I'm standing there having to like put some force down, the chance of it, you know, changing angle or coming off and potentially, mm-hmm. you know thinking a finger or something like that is 
that is a much greater risk than if you have a very sharp knife and you're putting little force to cut through what you want. And to me, the test of a knife sharpness is can you cut through a tomato without essentially force, which a tomato skin is notorious for not being able to be cut through with a dull knife, right? Yeah. So if your knife is sharp enough, right, and a non-serrated knife is what I'm talking about, to cut yeah. through the skin of a tomato without you holding the tomato, that is a sharp knife. Um, you can get by with a little duller, but I wouldn't go much than that. I would go resharpen mm -hmm. it. And they sell things now. Um, you know, if you want to take the time to learn you know, wet stoning, by all means, that is a fantastic way to do it. Yeah. But it is a labor of love. I tried, did not, did not no. continue. Yeah. No. <laughs> so I have a, um, I have a uh, knife sharpener out in my garage, in my workshop, um, where you can set the blade angle, and uh, it's a belt grinder, and it, so it is one oh, of the sure. not, yeah. not full professional, but it's pretty good. Um, <laughs> so. So I would invest in one of those if you're going to get serious about knife sharpening. So. Right. Yeah, I think that's good. You can also send your knives off um, and get them sharpened, uh, depending on, like, some of them have lifetime warranties, so you just mail them off. Some of them uh, you can find a local place and drop your knives off, and it's sure. like, you know, a couple dollars a knife. Which, if you have, you know, Walmart knives, which nothing against people that use that but sometimes it might be cheaper to just go buy a new knife than to sharpen a walmart knife but if you have invested you know some money in a knife because they can get up to a couple you know hundred dollars if not a thousand dollars a knife then it makes more sense to go sharpen that one so right yeah definitely i want to kind of change gears here to um how is food showing up for you as kind of a a bonding agent in relationships Oh yeah. Food is people glue <laughs> for sure. Uh, I've, I've used food to bond and, and just cultivate relationships and really be, be an icebreaker in a yeah. lot of yeah. cases, uh, case in point, our production team. So, you know, coming onto the team, one thing that I like to do, not only because I feel that we add something and it brings us together as family, but mm -hmm. when we first came onto the team, it was a way to say, here's something we are, uh, you know, we are doing to invest into the team to bring something uh, value to yeah. the team, and and that helps break down that. And then that starts a conversation. Well, how'd you cook that? Or man, this is you know good, or eh, not so good, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> so and and as long as you're open to the, that, exposing yourself to that, being vulnerable in that, right. I think that's really what what food does because it is a reflection. Right, it's coming from your home. It's a reflection of you. Mm -hmm. So when you, when people bring food to a group gathering, right, that type of thing, they are essentially bringing a bit of what you don't normally see of that person, right, with their home life right. into public, into the public light. And I think that's really why food is people glue for the most part, especially homemade meals or or potlucks or things like that. So mm -hmm. that's probably the one of the more recent ones um, at work uh, there's a reason that a lot, a lot of work meetings happen with food there's you know like it, <laughs> it helps bring people to the table and and also a full belly means that you you know talks and discussions usually go a little better because uh, <laughs> yeah. you're not grumpy um, or as we like to say you're not hangry so yep. for sure yeah i've definitely found that in my own um, experiences and i'm hoping next year especially with um, having our own house that I can have people over and we can um, cook together or whatever that ends up being. I, I think that'd be a, a lot of fun. Definitely a way to um, yeah, just foster those relationships. Yeah, for sure. It is, um, I think that you can be too possessive. Like there are, there are cases mm -hmm. where, you know, you can turn people off, especially if you invite them over to cook with you. So you have to, when you do stuff like that, you truly are being vulnerable. You're saying, yeah, come in to my kitchen, to my, you know, place. And, and not only that, but they may have a different method, uh, knife techniques. Oh, right. I could go on forever on that. But like <laughs> when I invite people over and I see them holding a knife wrong, you know, it's like, I need to, I had to learn how to say like, how can I help show you or correct some of this bad behavior? I'm not saying that you are a bad cook or you're a bad chef, <laughs> but I, I'm concerned and there's a better way to do this, right? So like yeah. those are the types of things. But but I think that gets into a bigger conversation of are you 
you know, condemning that person or are you um, convicting them to be better or what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I can't think of it right now. It's, there's another C word, but essentially you're saying you're putting someone down by, by discouraging them or you're challenging right. them to lift them up, right? Uh, and, and saying, here, there's a better way. I can grow you. I can do that thing. So, Yeah, definitely. All right, we're heading into hot seat now. Nolan, are you ready? I'm ready. Bring it on. Let's do it. What's the best meal you've had somewhere where you haven't lived? Somewhere I have not lived. The best meal I had. Uh, when I was in, uh, it was Thanksgiving uh, 2016, 2015, mm. somewhere. It's been a couple years now. I was up with, uh, no, it was 2012. Yeah, 2012. So uh, it's now 2020 for those listening in the future. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was in Chicago with my now wife, um, her aunt and uncle, and so you're talking about exploring or doing things different for for the holidays. So right. uh, Uncle Mark had fully deboned a turkey, like everything, down yeah. to the the wing and drumlet, and he had stuffed it with homemade uh, pork sausage and then like stitched up the, the arms and the legs so that it didn't come out. So we had a, a turkey, not a turducken kind of thing, but a turkey fully deboned stuffed with sausage with all the other accoutrements for a Thanksgiving dinner. And just like the way that the, the you know, the sausage, hmm. the, the fat from the sausage kind of went and permeated into the turkey and the yeah. turkey juice. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Like, I, I have not attempted to recreate that simply because I'm like, that was a ton of work that, I mean, we spent <laughs> hours deboning this thing, you know, and it was well worth it. But, man. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> Jeez. What's your favorite breakfast to make slash eat? Uh, for me, is just simple uh, eggs, bacon, and like toast. Like that's just mm. the simplicity of it, the ease of it. You, you get up in the morning, put on the coffee, throw the bacon in a cold oven because we do ours in the oven on a roasting yeah. pan, and then that. you know thirty forty minutes later, and the bacon's getting close to done put the eggs in, pop the toast down. And then, so it's just like the whole thing of it's really good food, really good eats. You know, if you get quality bacon and stuff and it's mm-hmm. super easy and it's not stressful. So I think that for me is just the thing. So it's the whole thing of not having to work too hard for something that is delicious to eat. So, yeah, definitely. I recently saw on, um, on Benji with Babish, he did, um, this is unrelated to breakfast, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Brussels sprouts cut in half on a sheet pan and then bacon laid over top. Um, and it just like, I don't know, it all cooks together and it makes them really easy to make um, that bacon Brussels delicious. sprouts. And I definitely want to <laughs> yeah. try it soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you drink coffee? Uh, almost probably three cups every morning. <laughs> and that's, I'd, I'd that's... say so. That's being cut back from what I used to drink. Let's say that. So, are you particular about your coffee? Yes. Uh, question mark. So, <laughs> <laughs> will I turn down coffee if it's served to me from like almost anywhere? Probably not. I would yeah. not. I'm not that picky. But if I make it myself, yeah, I can be particular about my own coffee. <laughs> what do you usually go for? So I actually like uh, brand uh, eight o'clock, and mm-hmm. I have my own uh, grinder. So I get whole beans, yeah. and I, you know, grind it in the morning or the night before, and put it on. Which for me, you know, I put it on at eleven, and I get up at you know five, so it's not too long. <laughs> but <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, right. so that so I have my specific grind setting for the you know the size of the grind I want mm-hmm. for the the temperature, and I have a very fancy. I do have a drip drip coffee but it controls the water temperature really well and there's you know i've got that that all down to a almost weighed out you know gram for gram kind of thing so nice yeah wouldn't expect anything less yeah if i if i only drink like one cup which you know i may as i get older i may go down to one cup then i will probably get like an aeropress or do like a pour Mm -hmm. over yeah 
But I do want to pour over for as much coffee as I drink. It's just too much work right <laughs> I now. I take a lot of work. <laughs> yes, exactly. What are your favorite pizza toppings? Oh, favorite pizza toppings. Honestly, a really good combination of cold cuts. So we'll get like mm-hmm. some specialty uh, pepperoni or salami or yeah. uh, with Jungle Gems just down the road from us. We will go in and get whatever they have kind of like a new meat selection. We got something last time that was like a cross between a pepperoni and a salami seasoning wise, hmm. but was also spicier um, yeah. than a normal pepperoni. So it was really good. So I would say that for sure. You want to explain what jungle gyms is for people that aren't in the I guess, Cincinnati area? <laughs> Absolutely. So jungle gyms, uh, the one I go to, because there's a couple, there's two now. Right. Uh, right. The original one, the, the OG one, started as a fruit stand. And it has grown from a fruit stand to uh, like a Disney World of, or an Epcot of food stuff. Yep. <laughs> so, so if you walk in, they have like a little grocery store section that's a normal grocery store. And then yeah. they have this entire area for your wines and liquors and things that are like worldwide stuff they import in. And then the rest of the store, which we're talking probably like all I've described to you is maybe 25, 30% of the store. So the remaining 60% of the store is like row by row of different aisles of food from different cultures and and regions around the world. So if you want to go in and find something from the Philippines or from, you know, Korea or from like they have, they will more than likely have it, even if they only have one or two of it kind of thing. So it's really neat. It's a, it's a fun experience. Yeah. Have you ever heard of or been to a Bucky's in uh, Texas? I don't think we went to a Bucky's when we were down in Texas. Bucky's is a like truck stop convenience store, and it's it's the largest in Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas, you know. So is this the one? Is this the one where they're spaced out based on the guy having to uh, use the bathroom after drinking a cup of coffee? Is that the same store I'm thinking of? I sure hope so. That's that's hilarious, but I have no idea if that's the one. Uh, yeah, we'll have to look that up. But yes, I mentioned I think... this. I mentioned this because um, my aunt lives in Texas, and my aunt and uncle live in um, San Antonio, and we just got a package from them with some some snacks from there, and they make these things called beaver nuggets because the like mascot or whatever the picture is a beaver, and they are so good. It's just like corn puffs covered in brown sugar, and it's all just it's amazing. And there's really? so much, there's so much brown sugar that by weight there's more of it than cornmeal, oh, uh, no. <laughs> and it's man, they're delicious. They're like borderline addictive. <laughs> oh man, that sounds really good. So yeah, that's that's what I've been uh, snacking on the last few days. All right, that takes me to the end of hot seat. Nolan, thanks for coming on this portion of the show. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure, sir. I look forward to uh, following up in the next episode. Thanks for watching this episode of Season to Taste. Find me on Instagram at Season 2 Podcast. And special thanks to Adam Paddock for the music.